This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today's message is entitled, Invaluable Lessons on Active Listening. And it's from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. The measure of effective listening or active listening, that means you are engaged and truly trying to hear what the other person says, the measure of effective listening is noted by the following, that you listen carefully and accurately, that you choose your response wisely and briefly, that you refrain from emotional attacking or avoiding, and that the proof of listening requires that you follow through on what you've heard. First of all, listen carefully and accurately. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Christians should uh, not be swift to speak and complain about trials or to... uh, hurry and give an answer to people. We should be quick to listen. And um, what's involved in listening carefully and accurately? Well, when you are hearing a person, don't assume you know what will be said. When you're listening to a person, don't read into what is said. Don't half listen while preparing an answer. Don't listen, then discount what you heard, but instead... Practice what I call the million-dollar lesson for listening. When someone's talking, it's like words are going across a computer screen in your mind. Listen for the feeling word that they say. If they say a whole bunch of words, but the key word is, I'm feeling really lonely right now, camp on that feeling word and say, when they take a breath finally, You're feeling lonely, aren't you? And the person will say, yes, you hear me. You understand what I'm saying. Thank you. How lonely do you feel? And then they'll go on with another paragraph. And that shows understanding. Now, that's the best way to listen to women. But the best way to listen to men is to listen for factoids. Nothing but the facts. So many men operate by facts. If you can parrot back the facts that they just said, they feel like you've really heard them. So women don't need advice, and men don't need mothering comfort. We need understanding. And like Francis of Assisi said, it's, we should be more seeking to understand than to be understood. So to listen carefully and accurately, we are to listen by reflecting back 
what we heard and clarified. Did I hear you say this? Is this what you meant? And by being quick to listen, we're more accurate in understanding and answering. Now, this applies to the Word of God. When we go to the Word of God, we should not assume we know what it means. We should not read into what it says. We shouldn't be thinking, okay, I'm going to just leave this and talk to God. And we shouldn't discount what we read. We should listen for the truth. Observe what it says. And interpret what it says and apply what it says. That's our approach to listening to the word. Next, we are to choose our response wisely and briefly. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. We have two ears and one mouth, which ought to remind us to listen more than we speak. When you're slow to speak, several things are in view. Number one, don't react to what is said. Respond to it. There's a difference between reacting and responding. When someone says, uh, oh, your tie's too long, you could respond like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, we could have a chip on our shoulder and we just react to everything like the person's attacking us or criticizing us when it may be a well-intended, constructive criticism. And so don't react to what's said, respond to it. And one of the best examples that I saw here in the church was when Ruth said to Bob, why didn't you tell me this before? You should have told me this before. And Bob said something like, well, you know what? You're probably right. And I could have fainted right there (laughs) by him listening to what Ruth had to say about communication. He diffused the whole thing and said, you're right. What a blessing. So don't, you know, to choose your response wisely and briefly when someone's talking to you is don't open your mouth and insert foot. And did you know that uh, is in the Bible? It says in Proverbs 10, 19 in the Living Bible, don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. Be sensible and turn off the flow. Wow, that's practical, isn't it? You know, there's a support group for Al-Anon, and um, there's a support group for people who are given to compulsive speech called Ananon. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I hear it's a support group for uh, Chatty Cathy's and Ken's. But Proverbs 17:27 says, "The man of few words or settled and settled mind is wise. Therefore, even a fool is thought to be wise when he is silent. It pays him to keep his mouth shut." Some of us talk too much, and we need to go on a word diet. In other words, what if when someone talks to us and they wait for us to respond? We just keep our answers to a sentence or two and then pause. We might move from having a monologue, talking all the time, to a dialogue 
where two people get a chance to talk. So this is very helpful. Um, and then next, if we want to respond wisely and briefly in effective, active listening, we should not dispense answers, advice, or arguments. So let me try to put this in a word picture, because I get word pictures. If I have a softball, and I want to toss it to you, and that softball represents the message in my heart, certainly I would want you to catch the softball. But I see in your hand not a glove, but a bat. So I throw the softball to you, and you think, I'm pitching, and you want to knock that ball out of the park. There's a problem here. I just meant for you to catch it, and you're too busy thinking how to bat it back. So oftentimes, people just need you to say, I understand. Isn't that brief? Isn't that helpful? How about, and this is really great, when someone finishes talking, you say, tell me more. <laughs> you know, I used to have a toy as a kid, and it was a boat, and this boat had a balloon in it, so you would blow up the balloon, and you'd put the boat in the top of the tub water, and the balloon would deflate, and as it would deflate, the, balloon, the, the boat would just shoot to the other side of the tub. It was so great. But now imagine a person, and they have gone through a lot, and they have a lot of feelings that's filled up their balloon. And all they want is to be able to share that with someone, to tell somebody what's going on inside them. We need to be there for them, to listen, not to give them advice, not to fix them, not to argue with them, not to get defensive with what they're saying, just let them deflate. Let them get it off their chest. And we can answer wisely and briefly if we ask questions to clarify and understand a person better. And we should, when we speak, speak to edify those who listen. That's Ephesians chapter 4 that tells us to do that. Let your answer be edifying and empathize and encourage others by your words. What if we said, I'm going to go on a word diet, and the few words I speak in answer to people will have the purpose to empathize with them, to edify them, and to encourage them? Wouldn't this be a more peaceful, loving, strengthening world if we had that attitude? And by the way, all this applies to the Word of God, that when we read the Word of God... We can read something about ourselves that we don't like and overreact. I don't want to read that. Or we can say, oh, I know exactly what that means, and run off half-cocked with a misunderstanding, putting our foot in our mouth, like Peter did often. Oh, Jesus, I'm glad I'm here for the, the transfiguration, because uh, I'll make a booth for all of you, for Moses and Elijah. He didn't know what he was talking. He didn't know whether to spit 
or to chew gum, you know? And he just said the first thing that came to his mind. What if we really listen to the word of God and don't try to tell God what to do? Don't give advice to God. Don't argue with God, but say, I submit to you. Your will be done. Rule and reign in my life. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to grow? What are you teaching me? That allows us to respond to God in a way that is honoring and a blessing. And then third, refrain from emotional attacking or avoiding. It says, take note of this, everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so we are to bear this wonderful attitude of being slow to be angry. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says this. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So in other words, in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says that sin, excuse me, that anger is possible for a human being to communicate without sinning. How can you communicate non-sinful anger? Well, you have to avoid two extremes. One extreme is don't let the sun go down on your anger. The other extreme is don't give the devil a foothold with your anger. Simply put, don't stuff your anger and don't vent your anger. In other words, don't avoid the person and do a cold war. How many grew up with parents that when they argued, they stopped talking to each other? How many grew up with parents that when they argued, they would yell and scream at each other. We all had models of either avoiding or attacking given to us. But those are examples of sinful anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and internalize your anger. Anger turned inward equals depression. You don't want to turn anger inward because you're going to pay for suppressing and repressing your anger. You're going to have all sorts of medical problems, and uh, <clears throat> you're going to pay the score. And then don't vent. Don't throw at them the, uh, the pots and the pans, and the devil is handing you the chicken, kitchen sink to throw at them. Don't do the devil's work by accusing and tearing down a person. So if we're not to avoid and we're not to attack, what are we supposed to do? And the word is we're to admit our anger. There's nothing wrong with saying, right now I'm, I'm beginning to feel angry that you overdrew our bank account or that, uh, you know, I uh, had this thing in, in my way and I tripped right over it. Uh, you can say, you can admit you're feeling angry. You're not stewing on it, stuffing it down, and you're not venting it out so that the devil has his heyday. You're just admitting it and talking it through. That's okay. So here's what happened to me, and I think I might have told you this story before. I was in a Christian softball league. Christian softball league. And I was um, 
playing first base, and my dear friend was playing second base, and this guy comes running past me at first base, heading towards second base, and the second baseman, my dear friend, has the ball ready to tag him, and the guy uses his spikes and spikes him in the leg, causing him to drop the ball, and he's safe. What a dirty guy. I was mad. And then, when we were up to bat, I have a baseball bat in my hand, and who should be the catcher but this guy who spiked my friend? Now, can you see it? He's squatting down. His head happens to be level with my bat. Now, of course, my mind was thinking things that it shouldn't be thinking about, and, uh, and I was just learning about how to deal with anger in a constructive way. So I'm supposed to admit it, and I'm supposed to give God the full weight of it, and then I'm supposed to ask him, how do you want me to express it? So I said, Lord, on a scale of 110, I am 15 angry with this guy right here. And to make it worse, the guy was trash-talking me. Wow, this guy's a whip. He's going to whiff. Oh, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. So I looked at him, and I simply said, I don't appreciate what you did to my friend out there at second base. And it was as if I did hit him. His chest shot up with defensiveness, and he went, and he was silent after that. God brought conviction to his heart. So that's the way to do it. Give God the full weight of your anger. Ask for wisdom how to express it and express it to the right person. You know, don't kick the mouse and the cat and, you know, the person living at home because you're angry with somebody else. Express it to the right person. So these are lessons I've learned the hard way, but I want you to know that what God is after in your life and mine is patience. And he's going to say this, have the patience of a farmer. You've got to be able to have patience with people and patience through trials. You've got to persevere. Don't let the turkeys get you down. Keep looking up to the Lord. Keep asking him for strength. Patience. Hang on, Sloopy. Hang on. So it's patience that produces the righteousness that God desires, not Anger, sinful anger. So how can we avoid from avoid attacking and, and uh, avoiding people? Well, number one, don't interpret everything as an insult. Did you know you can nip your oversensitivity in the bud by taking that chip off your shoulder? If a person looks at you the wrong way and you think you've been insulted and hurt, your sensitivity gauge is too high. Lower it. Not everyone's out to get you. Not everyone's insulting you. Just because they didn't say hi when they passed by you in the hallway doesn't mean they don't like you. That's junior high. Get over it. They probably said hello and you didn't hear it. So don't get insulted so easily. Don't interpret it as an insult. There's three things that it takes to become bitter. Number one, interpret what someone said or did as an insult. Number two, internalize the insult and repeat it over and over and over again. And number three,
be bitter and resentful. And you have a root of bitterness that eats at your guts. You don't want that. Nip it in the bud by not being insulted so easily. Don't overreact when your comfort zone is squeezed. You know, I was in a prayer meeting this week, and somebody has a completely different style of praying or participating than I would have. And I just had to bite my lips and say, I accept this person as being different. Isn't that interesting? My, my comfort zone was being squeezed, but rather than be angry, I was trying to seek to be more understanding. How about don't shift into high gear? You know, if you drive manual, you put in the clutch and you go first, and then clutch second, clutch third, fourth, you know, and you might have a fifth gear. Well, with anger, you could be slightly irritated. Then you can be annoyed. Then you can be angry. Then you can be have rage. And so some of us are so quick in our habit of going to rage that we shift from first to fifth in no time. What if we slowed down the process and said, you know, I'm going to try to stay mildly irritated and slightly annoyed and not go up to rage. So which are you? Are you, um, do you have a short fuse, and, but you're a big bomb? Are you a long fuse and a little fizz? Or maybe you're a long fuse and you're an H-bomb. You know, you, uh, you take a long time before you get angry, but then after you're angry, it's like a volcano. We can have short tempers and hasty words that lead to hurt and division. And you know, words are like an arrow. Once you shoot them and let them go, you can't pull them back. So you got to choose your words wisely. Don't attack. Don't avoid. Acknowledge your feelings. Admit your, your anger. And talk it out with the right person. And um, stay calm and keep a stiff upper lip. I mean, uh, stay calm and keep the spirit's control. Who is the source of self-control? My Bible says the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is, part of it is self-control. Help me to be self-controlled. See things from the other person's reality. Maybe that person's hurting. Maybe that person needs to, uh, maybe that person's very different from me. Prioritize producing God's righteousness. Instead of attacking and avoiding, saying, how can God be glorified in this situation? How can I do the right thing in the right way at the right time with the right spirit? And then deal with spiritual issues to hear better. Now, here's a profound thought. What if at the root of relational breakdowns, there's a spiritual issue? You know, we might sin, we might just be disobedient, and we say to ourselves, you know what? It's not going to hurt anybody. Oh, yes, it does. We may sin in a corner, but that sin is being lived out and having shock waves in our relationships. we got to deal with the spiritual issues that affect the relational issues. So James says, therefore, if you're going to apply this, you've got to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. If you're going to have a garden that grows, 
you've got to pull the weeds. If you're going to bear the fruit of Christ-likeness, pull weeds. If you are going to get strength during trials, pull weeds. That's the negative side. The positive side is, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Submit to the word with unqualified submissiveness. Surrender to the word. Cherish the word. Let the word be the authority for your life and practice. That's the key to being wise, to having a strong relationship, to communication, to listening. You can't listen if you have a spiritual issue behind the scenes that's creating noise blocking you from hearing the message. You know, there was a communist radio broadcaster, and I can't remember her name, but uh, during the war, the Allies would try to broadcast and she would create static over the radio waves. Somebody remember who that is? That's right, Hanoi Hannah. And so the message could not get through because of the static. You may have spiritual static, and that's what causes the breakdown in communication. So the therefore means changing to become what you were not before. Maybe you were not quick to listen. Maybe you weren't. You were quick to speak and quick to become angry. Well, to experience change from your failing past record, act on this transforming truth to grow in Christlikeness. So disobedience and sin are sources of communication breakdown and relational meltdowns. So we are to submit to the word that saves our soul and saves our lives. And the word of God implanted in us needs lots of watering. So you take the Lord's word and say, hey, here's the Lord's command, love with my love. There's the one and others of the New Testament. There's the fruit of the Spirit. There's sanctification that we're to grow in practical righteousness and authentic Christ-likeness. When that's happening, our relationships are blessed. Even our enemies are at peace with us. Why? Because there's no spiritual static going on inside of us. Satan is not Hanoi Hannah creating static in our lives. So finally, my last point is this. The proof of listening is that you follow through. James 1.22 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I was 17 years old, maybe 18, a senior in high school when I preached my first message. It was a youth Sunday, and the young people took over all the responsibilities that the adults do in the church. And I was asked to preach. Boy, was I nervous. I had butterflies flying all over in my belly. I still have butterflies now after 45 years of ministry, but now they fly in formation. <laughs> and you know, it's important to have a little nervousness so you rely on the Lord. But back then, I came into church with two suitcases. And the pastor teased me. What are those for? Are you going to move out of town if your sermon bombs? It's like, no, this is my research. So I got up there and I'm preaching the word and I made up something that I thought was clever for people to remember. 
I said, don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. You know how we have hairdos? Well, we should be having hear-dos, where you hear and you do the word. Hear and do the word. I was only 17, okay? But at the end, I called people to commitment. If you're willing to obey what you've just heard and stand up for the Lord, and three people stood up for the Lord. <laughs> my mom, my dad, and my youngest brother, my only family members who had attended, they stood up. And I was so happy that they heard that. And later my brother said to me, you got to hear do. <laughs> and it was after that sermon that the people of the church came up to me and they said, great sermon, you should be a pastor. And I said, no, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to go to the University of Connecticut in stores and, and I'm going to be pre-med next year and I'm going to be a doctor. Well, you should pray about it. And thanks to the affirmation of the body of Christ and praying about it, I chose to go forward on a Sunday where there was a call for those who wanted to go into full-time Christian ministry. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do that. And it was after that that I found out that my adopted grandmother said that my real grandmother, who died a month before I was born, had laid hands on my mother's womb and prayed that I would be a man of God. And I said to my mom, you know, why didn't you tell me that? And she says, because I didn't want to unduly influence you. So it was after I made the decision to go into the ministry, thanks to the affirmation of the body of Christ, that I realized that I had already been set aside and set apart for ministry by the prayer of my godly grandma, who I can't wait to meet in heaven after hugging Jesus and praising him. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.